Hi, and welcome to the second episode of the Intrinsic Podcast. In this episode, we will talk with Christian Woodmassey from the United States who runs Logic in Philadelphia. Hi, and welcome, Christian. It's an honor to finally have you here. I've been looking forward to this for like the past few years, actually. Um, uh, I've asked you here because you are one of the premier instructors I've ever trained with, and I think that you have a lot of valuable insights in how to teach so I'll have a few questions for you today, but before we start with that, who are you for the listeners who might not know you? Oh, well, one, it's, uh, it's a great honor to be here with you, even though you're also uh, good friends. It's nice to be able to sit down and spend time with you always, especially during this time, what's going on. So it's nice to have a familiar face, but also have fresh conversation. So thank you for having me. Um, I guess for anybody who doesn't know who I am, my name's just Christian Woodmancy. I dabble in jiu-jitsu. I have an academy here in Philadelphia. Um, I uh, have been an active competitor most of my career. Recently kind of uh, relaxed and uh, quote-unquote retired. Um, represented Team Atos HQ. was a head instructor there before I obviously had the academy that I do now in Philadelphia. I'm a black belt under Andre. Um, yeah, I mean, that's it. Uh, competed mostly for IBJJF, Gi and No Gi accomplished some things here and there um and now kind of just travel the world teaching jiu-jitsu when i'm not teaching jiu-jitsu at my own academy that's basically it very nice and succinct awesome um so one of the things that definitely caught my eye the first time we actually met is how you express yourself when you teach you are very straightforward you're like if i have the question what if he does this your answer is generally he won't because he's not stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, how how did this come? Like, is this just who you are as a person, or is this something that you have developed for because you believe it's a proficient way of teaching? Um, well, when I, I I realistically speaking, in terms of when you think about the average competitor, um, I started training very late, so. Um, when I was growing as a person and maturing as a person, I was starting to mold myself and I was in a particular environment where people were molding me to, to be a better human. So when I was learning jujitsu, I was kind of, my mind was evolving a lot. Um, I've always had the perception in terms of character of like, uh, actively taking responsibility, both in jujitsu, off the mat, whatever it may be. So my my point of view, my perspective with learning, my point of view and perspective with teaching is always about, um, I guess in jiu-jitsu terms, like having control, maintaining control, keeping that tempo. So I always speak, I, I'm always speaking and teaching from, from that understanding. But because I'm so authentic with that understanding, I can also, you know, see the opposites, which is great, but I try to always deliver that information to people when I teach and understanding like, Hey, there's so many things that can happen, but with control, you can dictate what actually will happen. And then obviously you get this kind of magical methodical, um, mind reading capabilities, which takes place. So as a competitor, as someone who enjoys the ability to maintain and keep control, um, I just, I just share authentically from that point of view. And, it doesn't work for everybody. I think, I think a majority of people respect it. I think majority of people can learn from it, 
but I know it doesn't apply to everybody. So um, I mean, mostly I'll get, I'll get the fact of that if I have students that are brand, brand new and have zero experience with jujitsu, they enjoy that kind of mindset. If I have people that are competitors, they enjoy that mindset. The people that are kind of hobbyists that kind of don't have as, as strict goals don't enjoy it as much. Um, so that that's the only downfall that I see. Um, but in terms of my, my own realization, I've always learned that way and I've always taught that way for jujitsu. So um, it hasn't really evolved in the sense of being different. It's just gotten more concentrated. So um, I enjoy teaching that way. That's how I learn. So I just kind of try to stay on that so I can give the most valuable information. Awesome. Um, on that note, um, a lot of teachers and instructors in jiu-jitsu are not educated or like formally trained in how to teach. Um, do you have any like formal training or have you, it sounds like you mostly just picked up as you went? Um, I mean, I guess you could say since I was always in concentrated, unique environments, i.e. being with beginning portion of my career being Team Lloyd Urban, you know, I would say for the first, you know, 80% of my white to purple belt, I was Lloyd Urban. And then from purple to a good chunk of my brown, I was obviously training with Cyborg and then I was training with Robert Drysdale. And then from there, I was training with Andre Galvao. So I was always theoretically speaking in an environment that was not average, that was exceptional, that was, that was more focused on, on, understanding how to grow as quickly as possible so in actuality i started teaching jiu-jitsu when i was a blue belt i got became like a full-time full-time instructor it was purple and being a part of the loiter affiliation we had plenty of opportunity if if necessary if desired to learn how to learn to learn how to teach and i was given you know information quality information of how to better serve people in terms of the psychology that goes into teaching no one actually taught me how to taught in the sense of like, you should speak like this and deliver information from this point of view. That's, that's like my own individuality. But like, for example, Lloyd would say like, you know, Hey, when you teach someone, don't correct them more than three times, correct them three times. And then that's it. If you do that more than that, it's going to start to become like a lecture. The, the possibility potential of that person feeling like they're not intelligent starts to happen and some other things. So there was always pinpoints there, you know, having conversations with Cyborg and Drysdale and Andre, they, they have their experience too because they spent jiu-jitsu so much time. But even they, even they would share with me that I was a very unique instructor and they would give me information and experience and advice, but they were always allowing me to be who I was, which was great. Um, but specifically, like I didn't, I'd, I mean, I've, I've read things to kind of make myself it, in my terms of understanding, try to increase my value, but in terms of how I teach, no one taught me how to do that. Nice. Um, so you have uh, two black books teaching with you at Logic. Do you spend any time like, I want you to teach the class this way, or do you just like, this is the curriculum we should set up and then you handle it because you trust them? Yeah. So, I mean, you've obviously met both. So Kyle, Kyle is my right hand man with, with Logic in terms of his responsibilities, which is enormous. And I appreciate it a lot. Um, but he is responsible 100% for the, we call it fundamentals for the white belt program. I do not tell him what to teach. I do not tell him how to teach it. In fact, I teach fundamentals twice a week. And one, one day out of that, 
out of those one one class out of those two is no gi, and one out of those two is gi. And when I teach gi, I actually ask him what he's doing, so I can I can follow his lead with his program. So um, Kyle is very open minded. He's very intelligent. He's he's very good at jujitsu. So. I always just display my character and I display my leadership in my classes. And at times Kyle's even said like, Oh man, like, you know, um, I'm, I'm taking your lead, uh, roughly quoting, but like I'm taking your lead. I'm seeing how you teach things and I'm, and then I'll watch him teach and he mimics me to a degree, but it's still important for me as the, as the head instructor and the owner, for myself. And it's also important for me, for Kyle, for him to have his own unique individuality. I don't want to, I don't want to get into his creativity or his process. So when he asks questions, I answer and I never, I never give him orders or tell him to do something. Um, when he asks me for my opinion, I share. So I like to give him that freedom of reaching his own success and his own failures in his eyes. And then just being there for him to support. Um, Dennis has been with me in terms of jujitsu longer than anybody else. We've been um, teammates together. I've been his instructor. I've been his teammate again, and then I've been his instructor again. So I gave Dennis, Dennis, his, his brown belt and his black belt. So Dennis and I have very similar games. We have slightly different understanding and techniques and concepts that we apply in there, but we have very similar uh, mentality and, and point of views. So Dennis, again, is unique and individual and teaches by, teaches his own way, his own curriculum. He follows whatever he wants to. He gets his questions answered but I don't give him any type of force or molding to follow, but we are very similar. All three of us are very similar. You will notice a difference, but in terms of being the same environment, you would go like, Oh, okay. Like the standard for jujitsu at logic is, is kept at this and all the instructors stay above that line for sure. Nice. Um, so one thing that I personally find very interesting is teaching kids. Um, when you were visiting here, the first time I want to say you helped out teach one of my kids' classes. Um, I know Kyle teaches most of the kids' classes at Logic. Yeah. Do you teach kids' classes still? So when we made the switch and went to the new location and we started to be efficient with the programming and we, we adjusted the schedule, Kyle and I um, started to teach the program together. So what we originally had was two age groups and they were separate. And even though they were separate, we didn't have the space at Roots. And when we came to Logic, we had plenty of space. But then we realized with the move and being concentrated that it would be better to have multiple instructors in one class with a big group than it would be to have individual instructors with smaller groups. So Kyle and I, and now we have um, uh, our Blue Belt assistant, Mark, uh, Mark Key, who does a great job as well. There's three instructors now for all the kids, kind of like, you know, like, you guys, we have a big program, multiple instructors, lots of kids. So we run that program now, quote unquote, together, which is great. Um, but again, it's Kyle's program. Kyle, Kyle kind of dictates what goes on. And what's nice is I like pop in, in terms of like, hey, this is what I think that we should teach this week. Then Kyle and I will make a decision together and we do that, um, which is nice. So like it's, uh, when, we, when Kyle teaches the fundamentals program, I am his follower in terms of it's his program. I follow his suit. When we teach kids, we're both equals. So we bounce things off each other. We, we, we verbally communicate differently, which is great. Um, and then obviously when I teach my class, he follows me because he's my student. So, um, but with the kids program right now, it's only three times a week 
that's getting ready well, was getting ready to go to four times a week before the 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 pandemic um and it will continue to grow until it gets to six times a week and then after it gets to six times a week and the numbers have grown so drastically we will then take that same concept and we will go to separating the age groups and having multiple instructors for both classes so then kai will be responsible for the little kids, I will be responsible for the big kids. He'll have two assistant instructors. I'll have two assistant instructors. So that's currently like our, our business model and our game plan for what we're doing now. Awesome. So one of the things that I, I find very, very important is like how you approach teaching kids. Um, so if you have, the, in your case, when you have the full group, um, how do you handle the attention spans? Because if you have smaller kids, four or five-year-olds, their attention spans are roughly a half a second Whereas you have like eight, nine, 10 year olds, they, some of them are like super focused as well. And they really want to like, I want to be the best. And then you have, well, oh, this is fine. I'll try it out. Like, yeah. how do you approach working with these, especially in this um, group? Yeah. So f for us, <clears throat> it starts at the very, very beginning when we have a potential new uh, child that's signing up and we, from from the from the first moment that child walks into the academy there's got to be a very consistent not just thought about standard but an actually standard that's being kept through action we can see in the child it has to be able to witness that standard you know so we'll get a kid that's like kind of like me when i was a kid kind of messes around he's a jokester he wants a kid around but he's also has potential then we have kids that are very shy introverts we've got kids that are very rambunctious with no desire to be there at all right so the key is that although all the children will be different they've got different goals they're 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 different humans they all must do certain things at the same level which is that standard respect being patient and understanding when you're not understanding to ask a question so these things are constantly being reminded to them in everyday instruction that we, we do at the academy. So what we do is we have a very, very clear structure for how we teach the class in terms of uh, the process from the beginning of the class to the end of the class, how long those are. It's like a very, it's very strict schedule. It's almost like school. Like, you know, you have this class and you have recess and you have lunch and you have this and this. So um, we're always um, focused on making sure that's efficient and it's evolving accordingly at a, at a, at a very healthy rate. But what's important is to make sure that standard, that quality doesn't go down. So I have some kids that are two or three that have more attention than kids that are nine or 10. But I also have some kids that are four or five that have a great day and then the next day they have a bad day. So there's, there's, there's not a lot of consistency there with that. And that's why they're kids. <clears throat> so um, for me, I treat all the kids like they're adults in the sense of, you know, communicating with them the same, keeping the standard the same you know, uh, understanding that that discipline and, and has to be there regardless. And um, by keeping the environment consistent and by doing that in a short period of time, everything just comes together, you know? So if you see, if you see environments like Atos HQ who have huge kids classes and kids again, that not all of them want to be world champions and blah, 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 but all of those kids are they're, they're, it's like an army they are literally soldiers in the sense of they follow discipline and structure and then they have fun with that so um we do play games uh but they're not games where it's like hey we're just having fun here 
we're still learning and this is what we're learning and this is what we're accomplishing by this game. And we also have events outside of jujitsu, kids parties where we, we watch movies, we do whatever. And that actually impacts how they act a lot inside the classes because of their experience. Um, in terms of my own experience as an instructor and as a student, I find that the more that you enjoy yourself with your team and with your instructors in a not learning type of environment, the more focused you are when you are in a learning environment. So by implementing, you know, things to do outside of just sit down, listen to jujitsu, it makes that aspect a lot stronger. So that's, that's basically our, our focus all the time. When I, when I go and I travel and I teach, I try to as quickly and efficiently as possible enforce that as well. It's a little bit harder because I'm not as in the environment as much, but it's just like, it's, it's, it's handling someone who can be molded right away. And the kids pick up on that kids pick up on energy. They pick up on character very quickly. So if you keep that sharp, it'll happen right away. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Man. So you kind of touched on this. Um, something that is generally very different from at least Sweden compared to America is the focus on sports in general. Mm -hmm. My experience is that sports in the US focus on a lot of, you need to achieve results. You need to win. Um, whereas in Sweden, the thing is like the, the, there's a saying that means everybody should be a part of it. So mm -hmm. we pick up the weakest link and everybody needs, gets to play. Even if you suck, you get to play. Yeah. Um, do you have a specific focus for a program? Is it more like every, we are training to win or we are training to have fun or is it both or something completely different? Um, kids, adults, fundamentals, advanced, whatever it may be. The focal point, the goal is to have great character. So I have a lot of classes. I mean, even you've been at the academy. I have people there that in terms of uh, consistency, it's all over the place in terms of the type of people and the type of goals. Someone who's in their late 40s, early 50s, hobbyist. Someone who's in their early 20s, professional athlete. Someone who's in their 30s, blue belt, purple belt. Like it's all over the place with that. So like you wouldn't walk in and say this is a competitive school, this is a hobbyist school. It's just a, it's a mix. However, they all have the same standard on them. So even though they're in a classroom structure and they're all learning the same technique or concept or whatever it may have you, the goal is not to win. The goal is to have a specific understanding of jujitsu and what you do with that understanding is up to you so if you want to go win you have the ability to if you want to be a hobbyist you have the ability to um but i don't force competition i don't force winning mentality like hey if you don't win you sit down or like oh you know whatever it may be it's just that we're going to experience challenge in life we're going to experience being out of our comfort zone we're going to experience wanting a raise we're going to experience someone talking down to us being bullied blah 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 Jiu-Jitsu has the ability, the concentrated ability to experience those types of challenges. And what we're doing here is building up the character and the confidence in handling those. So at the end of the day, whatever your goal is, whether it's being a world champion or asking a girl out on a date or being able to defend yourself or you know, going into work and getting that raise you always wanted, those people, all of them, say, this is the challenge. This is what I need to do. And I have the confidence to do it. So that's that to me, even when I was at HQ teaching the competitors, 
is the same way that I spoke to them, the same way I delivered that information. It just so happened that at HQ, a majority of those people shared the same goal, which was to win, to compete. But that that process, that algorithm for getting that is the same algorithm for any goal. So I just focus on the algorithm rather than talking about the goal specifically, you know, because that goal is what's unique. So I let everybody to have their goals. The algorithm is the same. So that's my focal point. Nice. It makes me happy to hear because that you have this defined for yourself. A lot of people be like, no, we just take it day by day. Or It's fine to say we are here to win. But yeah. it's important as a customer or a client that I come in and understand what I'm getting. So it's nice yeah. that you have this clear. You, you also want to think too, this is something that's for you because especially where you're at in your journey and because you're our instructor as well and everything else like that, that for many different professors, instructors, whatever you want to class coaches, it is a challenging, potentially scary thing to be asked to, to get clear and to be specific because the more clear you are and the more specific you are, the the more concentrated your information becomes, the more you realize who it's for and you realize the quality of that. So at some point in time in my teaching career, um, at my clarity level that I had at that time, I told myself, man, I, I'm only able to teach competitors. And that was a scary realization that I had at that moment because I thought that my value was only for a specific group inside a specific group inside a specific group. This was a scary thing at that moment um, that then impacted me to make change. So some, some leaders are unable, even if they had a desire to get clear, and some are able to get clear, but they're nervous to and they're scared to. So a lot of people keep it more relaxed. You get that like, hey, this is, this is the direction of this environment. So it, I've always appreciated like, hey, what, what do you do here? You know? What is the example here? Because I thrive in that type of environment. So that's the environment that I created so that I'm able to supply the people that are, that are there for that specific thing as efficiently as possible. So rather than being a general you know, grocery store that offers everything, I do offer more than one or two things, but I do not offer a lot. And I'm very clear on that, which means I can be clear with people so I don't waste their time and that they don't waste their time and then I don't waste mine because I'm understanding of what we have to offer, understanding of our product. And I know that we, we deliver that product very, very, very well. So I know like right away when I have conversation with people, that clarity can give confidence. So that's why it's important for me to be that clear. But it was challenging to get to that point. It was also challenging to understand like hey this is what i am capable of you know i'm not capable of doing things that andre does or drysdale does or some other people does so for me i don't want to lie to myself or my students or my potential students and say oh i can do that i'm just like this is what i can do and i stick to that and i try to grow but i'm i i, I authentically share that with the environment i think that's very important very, very true. Um, so a slight segue, um, something that I find very interesting whenever I travel and visit other academies, is how they structure their competition classes for their adults. Mm -hmm. Some people do, okay, 10, 10 minute rounds, or some people do 100, one minute rounds, or 
burpees, whatever. Um, how do you, to, to perhaps not as practically, but as theoretically, what is the structure of uh, competition? So maybe not class, but like a season, do we, is the focus on strategy, is the focus on position sparring? So, I mean, if I were to lead for consistency in terms of uh, a long period of time and have, and basically dictate the curriculum for a competition class for a season, for me, the, the points that I have to hit are building confidence, um, understanding a game, delivering strategy, um, being able to exemplify and go over rules, uh, being able to articulate the mindset of what someone should have in that entire process of camp, cutting weight, showing up, performing. So over a season, I'm basically keeping a consistency of like, this is what we're going to do 75% of the time. That 25% will be unique internal rotation of these individual topics that we will always go over during the week. Um, for me as a competitor, learning and for me as a competitor um leading training is very important and a strong structure for that so i would in every class have specific sparring with specific scenarios that mimic a competition in terms of the practical outcome of saying like hey you you may not depending on your game even be in this position but we need to focus in being this position for the possibility and everybody needs to experience that from both sides of the coin. So like, for example, like, uh, I usually don't get mounted. I'm either in side control of my back taken, but I need to still have experience being mounted. I don't like mounting people, but you have to use that mindset and mount someone. So that's something that you don't, you won't do that same position every day, but you will go through that again. So that's 75% of we'll do specific sparring, but that 25% of we'll change the positions that we do in specific sparring. So for me, I've never been keen on just saying we're putting on the clock. We just train, no talking. Let's just get after it because there's a lot of things that are, that are left out that are left on the table in terms of communication. That's important. And the one thing that I learned the most at HQ is that the growth and the ability to make a lot of change takes place in the conversations that are not had during training. They're made after training, which is like, Hey, I brought my a game stuff to you. It didn't work. What exactly did you do? And what was your point of view while I was doing it? That shut it down, getting that high quality information from my teammate, understanding it. So then I can make them fail again. And then they can ask me how I did that. And then they make me fail again. And it's this ping pong effect. The key is to go to a competition and have the preparation and the, the resilience and putting out your best work and having the confidence and understanding that if Liera Jr., JT, Keenan, Hinger, Carbolito, Connor, Dom, if these guys, when they knew what I was doing, got to a point to where it took them three or four minutes to pass my guard, John from Alliance, who I've never trained with, who I don't roll with, should not be able to pass my guard at all because that information of communicating back and forth, understanding the holes and making them stronger. So um, that's something that not a lot of competitors do that I also would force that I do force into the aspect of, of training. So competitive training specifically, but um, I think it's tough because 
all competitors are different. Some people just want to train. Some people need to win all the time. Some people need to lose all the time. They, everybody gets confidence differently. So when you have a competitive team, it's important that you're touching upon all these different understandings of learning and everybody's forced into it because as a team, you all need to experience that together. So the people that are like, Hey, today what we're doing, I don't like, but I know that my teammate does today is my day to grow, but also be that, that, that person who's committed and helping everybody. It's a team effort. So, um, that's just what it is. It's harder to do if I was only teaching, you know, like I only teach competition class once a week for three months. It's harder to hit all those boundaries, but, um, Andre does a very good job of, hey, don't just show up and just train. You know, like we have a specific game plan for today. This is our goal. It's always important to realize our goals, communicate them, and then go after them. So even though the goal is to win at the tournament, our goal for training is to prepare to then go to that tournament and win. So um, being able to, to, to simulate that as many times over and over and over again will give you the ability to prepare. And you'll hear things like that being said from like JT, which is important, you know, so. Um, the key is as realistically as possible, create a competitive environment as often as you can. And the results that you get in that simulation are more than likely the results that you're going to get at the tournament. So the more you can do it, the, the more that you'll see your, your realistic outcome at a tournament. Uh, so you touched a lot on something that I personally struggle with, that I think very interesting is like setting goals, both for myself as a competitor, but also for my students or for the entire group um, do you like so if there's a competition class and you know that john is shit at half guard mm -hmm. do you tailor like a class around okay so half guard is for everybody everybody needs to practice it but you specifically spend some time with him or no uh, the um, morgan needs to work on butterfly so uh, do you spend time like with the competitor like uh, this is what you need to do or is it like okay everybody needs to work on this thing and then allow them to figure out themselves unless they ask you specifically. Yeah. So inside structure, and I do this even with my class level competition classes. If I see something that's very, 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 very unique, I always take that person that's responsible for that unique thing that we're identifying. And I, I sit just with them. So I'll sit with Morgan. I'm like, Hey, what's going on? And like, Oh, this is the problem that I'm having. Cause it's a, it's not a problem that everybody is having. So I'll focus on it with her and I'll give her information to a point to where it kind of starts to level out. And then when it becomes more leveled, the general public will be able to assess it. But what I'll do in trainings, in regular classes and in, in competition training type environments is instead of being very, very, very specific in terms of, Hey, we're doing half guard today. I'll say, Hey, uh, right now, everybody, pick a guard, pick your worst guard. And that's where we're working from today. So even the people that are not experiencing half guard, the people that are having that issue will pick half guard and they're working on it. But then this way, the people that are also butterfly have, they shall be picking that bad guard. So inside that 25%, 75%, you know, whatever, 60, 90, uh, whatever that thing is, um, rule that, people will focus, be forced to focus on their, their, their holes. So if I see an individual struggling to grow, even with that structure, structure, I will take them away and then 
help them more because they need more information. And like, this happens all the time. Morgan will be like, I'm working on a specific guard, this specific grip. And then these are the sequences that I'm doing, but I'm having literally just this very unique, small problem. Cool. This is what I want you to work on, but she's able to still be unique and individual. And when I put her in a, in a, in a class environment that I create a mold, she still fits inside that mold because of how I deliver that information, which is, Hey, Right now we're working on guard retention, but you're picking your worst guard. Hey, right now we're doing guard retention. You're working on your best guard. Hey, we're working on top. You're picking your best position. So I'm, I'm hitting all of these different areas because I find that when you become too, too, too specific, you start like creating clones in the academy. And because you create clones, which is to some theory, I guess it has its purposes. It's not something that I like doing or I do do but then everybody will have the same problems, the ability to, to communicate in a more understanding way with everybody else, but then you take away their ability to be unique in individuals. So I try to, as cleanly as possible, remove the consistencies that everybody exists, which is, which is best and worst, you know, retention, bottom or top, and I allow people to, to, to implement their own unique individuality in there even though they're all following the same structure. That's really interesting. Um, do you believe that as a student, you should have a specific goal per class or should it be a larger goal or should you have multiple goals? Um, I think it's, it, would, it would be that you need to work from like your <clears throat> point of view. So like there will be times where like, this is the goal that I have just for today, just for this round, just with this person. You also have times where you have a general goal that you're just applying over a week or a month. So I think that, uh, I guess to best deliver it in communication is that you should have something that's very broad, something that's very general, something that is um, able to be hit, gi, no gi, um, good days, bad days, one day, one week, whatever it may be. And then I think you should have a, a more concentrated goal. And then I think you should have a more concentrated goal within that. So I think you should have layers of goals. I think you should have goals that do go from round to round, day to day, week to week, month to month, year to year. Um, but I, I don't know if you want to get as specific as saying like, Hey, you should have a goal just for today or blah, blah, blah. But you should definitely see if you were to take a step back that you have goals within goals, within goals that are kind of like, you know, the radius of your goal is kind of changing. Um, because obviously the more specific and smaller that goal is, um, the more specific the environment and the situation has to be to accomplish it. So um, uh, the key for me is that there just has to be goals. So I'd rather there be three or four big general same type of goals than no goals at all. You know, so even though it'd be great to have, like I said, that big, bit smaller, smaller type of thing. If someone comes up to me like, Hey, I kind of just came up with this today. That's better than coming up with nothing at all. The standard is to have goals the the so not having goals is not allowed you know inside of that if someone needs more structure if they want to grow faster i say hey start doing this more specific thing you'll see more specific results but um i in my environment i say hey you should sit down every sunday think about what what your goals will be for this week coming up whether they're for the week whether they're for the days in the week whether they're for going to the specific person whatever it may be but you should be making the habit to sit down and have the time to just develop and understand your goals so you can be prepared for class. 
because what's not allowed, and I literally ask, I'll even ask, like, what's your goal? What, what, are we, what is your goal right now? What are your focal points? If someone says, I don't know, I literally will say, go sit down until you figure it out because otherwise you're wasting your time. But I had the same type of people that literally say, hey, you know what my goal this week is to just show up and be present and to have fun and enjoy the moment. But because they put that time and focus into actually understanding that, even though the first guy didn't have any goals at all and he's doing the same type of training the second guy is, the second guy is clear with what his purpose is for being on the mat. And that's what needs to happen every single time. Yeah, so there, there is no uh, grading or a evaluation of the goal. So you can be like, I'm, I'm struggling at life. I need to just show up to like have fun. This is fine. It doesn't have to be. Correct. That's very nice. Um, something else that is that I find complicated to handle and then I struggle with like in my early blue belt days particularly is being mentally weak and you to me at least are a very resilient person and very strong like I I tended to like almost fake injuries just to sit out around mm -hmm. uh, and then go back on so I would appear like never mind he's tough mm -hmm. but it had nothing to do with being tough it was pretty much being afraid to lose or being weak is this something that you've seen generally or how, how would you handle this as an instructor if you notice this? Um, I mean, I've seen it. I've seen it in multiple different environments when I've traveled. I've seen it for people that are new to concentrate environments like HQ, Drysdale, Cyborgs, guys that are visiting, guys that move there and they're trying to, hey, is this the environment that I want to be in? You know, Because they're basically in the moment understanding either the standard or what their, what their own personal standard should be. And then that difference between those is what causes a, a mental type of challenge. Um, to be very blunt with you, I personally have never experienced it for myself in the sense of like, Oh, I mean, I've experienced that difference in like, man, like I suck or like, you know, I'm having a really tough time. Like I'm not doing this, but my habits that I created has never been to back off the throttle, to, to let off the gas, to press the brake. It's to acknowledge that and then say the whole purpose is to continue anyway, to build up that comfort zone, you know? So I think to a degree, we're all very similar. I would say the example of the jiu-jitsu practitioner is that you're constantly always growing to something. So we're all experiencing that, like, you know, like, Hey, like I'm not confident as much as I want to be. Everybody's experiencing that. Um, as an instructor, um, as a whole, I definitely have specific parts of training integrated into the classes and competition training where we focus. Everybody is building that confidence, but I do take individuals to the side. I'll have conversations with them, whether it's one, two, three, four, five, it's one day, it's it's over the course of their entire career where I'm constantly saying like, Hey, th this is, this is how you can get the confidence that you're looking for. And at the end of the day, which is very tough is that the more responsibility as an instructor that I take for that person, the more concentrated and, the, and, and, uh, for example, like, let's just say like, you've got a very big plate. You're like, man, I'm doing all these things. I will remove everything off that plate for you and accept it as my own and lead and take that responsibility for you. But no matter what, I can't take all of it. 
And for some people, especially with the topic of confidence, that they're like, man, all I got to do is one thing today. And that creates a lot of pressure rather than having so many jobs and the ability to, to fall back on like, well, I did like, I did like four out of the five. Some people need that kind of confidence build. But the more that you take away from a person to focus on, and they've only got one job, they either do it or they don't. So some people thrive when they're building confidence in that environment. Some people fall. And the key for me as an instructor is to uniquely get in touch with my students and understand who they are in that moment and then lead them in the correct way. So Dennis, for example, thrives when he's got one job, just one. If he ever needs to get to a point, I can say, all you need to do is just this one thing. And you will either live or die if you do that thing. And he will always live. That's how he thrives. He doesn't thrive if I give him 19 things to do. And he's like, man, that's a lot. If I do like half, I'm good. He doesn't, he's not that kind of person. But Morgan is the opposite type of person. And as, my, as an instructor, it's my responsibility to know my students so I can help them get the correct algorithm and tool for, for the, the issue that they have, you know? But it, it takes a very, very specific student-instructor relationship with authentic conversation to understand those things. Because when you don't, you just blindly throw them out there. There's a chance that it may work but there's also a, a chance that it's not, and that's going to create a ripple effect and impact anyway, you know? So um, it, our responsibility as a student is, to, is to, to be honest with ourselves and then deliver that honesty to our instructor, to trust our instructor with that information. Our responsibility as an instructor then is to take that honest information that we have and create a structure that we can then give to our students to accomplish the goals that they want. That's how that works. And in actuality, it's 50-50. So when you start to bend that and you make it 90-10, like, man, I'm doing a lot as a student. I feel like my instructor is missing out. Well, are you selectively removing that responsibility from him? Or did you offer it to him and he didn't take it? So you're taking that. This is how you have the student, you know, uh, instructor relationship. But sometimes as an instructor, it's my job to remove that 50-50, do 60-40, 70-30, because my, my, my student needs help, you know? So that balance is very, very important. Hi, Nami. You want to say hi? It's Marcus. You want to say hi? Say hi, Marcus. Hi, Nami. Hi. Smile. Greedy. It's greedy. <laughs> hi, Marcus. She just hi, Randy. Randy. Gritty, yes. <laughs> Sorry. That was a good, was a good interruption. But it was good. Not a problem. I'll just edit that out so it's not a problem. <laughs> Leave it in there. She wants to be, she wants to, uh, she wants to be famous. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so that, that creates the new segue, obviously. Very nice. Yeah. Um, something that I have very, this is the Swedish model, um, discipline, respecting other people's time, etc. Um, How do you handle people not being as, serious as one would expect like like showing up two minutes late every class or similar like um we have some students uh, in my kids class that always showed up five minutes late mm -hmm. for example and so i assumed it was the parents it was not 
Um, so if you have, if you work till six and class starts at six, you can't be there at six. Mm -hmm. But if you choose to always be late, is this something you accept? Because eh, Brazilian way, instructors don't even show up on time. Why should I, et cetera? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I personally have students that, that I trust and have talked about and they're saying like, hey, with communication, I understand the standard and I want you to know that I respect that standard, but I am unable to, to the same degree as someone else. I work until this time, so I can't get here any earlier than this. And I say, that's fine. You were to respect that standard still, which means even though you're getting here at 15 minutes after class starts, you are to handle yourself respectfully still understanding that you're here for that. So don't, don't be messing around. Don't be wasting time once you're there. For an example, you open the door. If you're, if you're walking around and making stops, if you're in the locker room, you put your gi pants on, you sit down, you know, and you're kind of, you're intentionally wasting time, right? You're literally acknowledging that you're wasting the time. That is disrespectful. It is not allowed. Not only is it not allowed, it's not even entertained or, or like, hey, it's okay. Just don't do it next time. I have personally, in many environments that I've been in, if I am leading, when I say leading, I mean like leading, leading. If I witness this going on, I literally say, you are not even welcome to now doing jujitsu or training because it's very apparent and clear that you don't want to. So you do not now have the ability to, you know, I have even done this as a student in a competitive class because I, in that moment, and I was reprimanded for doing it, but um, as a student, as a teammate, I felt disrespected and I saw the standard being disrespected and my instructor didn't say something. So I said something and I said, Hey, if you want to waste specifically Andre's time, and if you want to, if you want to be disrespectful to the standard he set, that's, that's between you and him. However, though, I'm your teammate and I feel disrespected because we have a job here to do and you're not doing your part. So I can't tell you not to train, but I'm going to let you know that I think you're an asshole and I'm not going to train with you. So whether that's okay with you or not, that's, that's you and you, you know, but I'm letting you know because I, because I owe it to myself and to you as your teammate to let you know how I feel and to be honest with you and to communicate that with you rather than just not train with you or train with you and hurt you or something like that it just doesn't work. So, um, yeah. And, um, that day, many people were like, no, yeah. Hey, Hey friend, fuck you. I'm not training with you either. If you're not going to show up and be here for us and you show up late for you, then we're not here for you anymore. Cause you're not here for us. Right. So, um, but as I said, I was reprimanded. So it is what it is. Um, but, um, standard is very important because without standard, without structure, without order, there can't be growth, you know? And again, it's okay to say, Hey, well, like, I don't want to take it that seriously. Oh, that's fine. But you, you still have to be on time and you still have to keep the standard because n your, none of your goals change the standard. 
that 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 just doesn't work. You can't say like, oh, well, you know, um, I, you know, I don't take this job as seriously as the CEO, so I'll show up late. Sure, you can, but you get fired. That just that's just how life works. And in my environment, I make sure that, that stays that way. That way, I'm aware of other environments where instructors are okay with this standard being changed and disrespected and literally verbally communicate as disrespect where they'll say like, Oh, Hey, where are you? Like, man, I just didn't feel like doing warm ups. Oh, okay. You know, it's all right. And it's like, is it? Oh, okay, sure. Because that person, because the goal is now the instructor is not to maintain the standard. It's just to have a student on the mat, you know, and that's okay too, but that's their, that's their standard and goal. But not now. I don't deal with that stuff because it's, to me, it's just, it's jujitsu, MMA, whatever it is, when you have an environment where it's a learning environment and there's more, there's more than one person, you, you can't, you, you can't individually impact the environment in a negative way and things like that does. And, uh, students, instructors, they acknowledge it, whether they handle it or not is up to them, you know? I think once in a while, it's nice to throw a wrench in there and have someone do it to see how the environment responds because it should be responded by everybody because everybody should feel disrespected, you know? But I do have a student that habitually is always late because of his time that he works and everybody understands that. But if, if there's a guy that ever shows up four or five times in a row late that isn't late because of work because he's just being lazy or like if he literally shows up and he doesn't do warm-ups, you will literally see people say something to him if I didn't have the opportunity to say something to him yet, or he snuck in or something, which doesn't happen either. So, um, no, I just, I think standards are very important for relationships, all relationships, and they are to be kept because if someone's disrespected, it just doesn't work. Yeah. Makes, makes a lot of sense. Oh crap. I lost my question. Damn it. <laughs> uh, no. So what we had, um, so in your logic is obviously quite a large Academy now with, lot of students you also have the luxury of being very stringent because it doesn't matter if you if people leave in the same aspect as if you were a small academy mm -hmm. um so i've visited some smaller academies and i assume when when roots was small as well when you have these star competitors or like very influential members um it's my experience that they generally get a lot of leeway um you know it's okay to be on your cell phone for two minutes during warmups because you win or such. Um, is this, this is, I believe personally that this is harder to like tell them to behave properly. Maybe just because I, I I'm very shy and non-confrontational. Yeah. Um, I think that as the, the more, the more that the mass of the Academy grows, the more you realize individual impacts, the individual the individual action impacts the whole, right? So the bigger your pond, the bigger your lake gets, when you throw a rock, obviously the more, the, the further and the bigger those ripples are going to be because of how big the water is, right? So when you have a smaller academy and you've got a puddle, those individual actions don't impact as many people because there's not as many people to impact. So usually when you have a smaller academy, it's newer, it's, still in the process of establishing the standard or it's establishing what the environment is going to be and the goal of that environment. Right. So there, there can potentially be some, some leniency or some, some relaxedness 
for the, the person leading that academy because they're still trying to figure out what it is. They're, they're like, ah, you know, like rather than say, Hey, get off the mat and leave, you can have a conversation right then and there and be like, Hey, like this is a mistake and it happened and it's okay. But like, you can't, it can't really happen again rather than later on when it's a, a bigger thing, you know, it's like, Hey, so I would imagine like being a professor at a university and leading a lecture of hundreds of students that if someone stood up and like just made some awkward, weird noise to create a scene, you know, and disrupt the entire thing that because of how many students I have and how important it is to get my message across that I would say, Hey, you need to leave, just get out because, because not only is, is the environment more important than you as an individual, there's so many other individuals in here that that just doesn't work. Now, if I have three or four students in that lecture and that one stands up, I may have the, the mental energy and the capacity to focus and say, hey, we're trying to impact three or four people now and the one disrupting it is part of that number. We have the room and the capability of shifting focus here and getting that person back on board. So let's, let's say, hey, that doesn't work. Now you know, we all know that you know, focus now. There's a little bit more leniency, you know, but yeah, it's tough, you know, and again, depending on the goals of the, the leader, depending on the goals of the academy and the standard, I feel like that leniency and how and when it's given is all going to change. could depend on the environment. Is it a competition class? Is it a regular class? Is it a beginner class? Is it that person's first week? You know, like all of the, all of that, all of those details will possibly impact the leader to handling that situation differently. You know, again, it's just communication. So if, if I have little Johnny in for his first class and he's acting completely out of, out of hand and he's disrupting the class, he's not listening and he's running around. And I'll say like, Hey, I'll literally walk, I'll walk him over to his parents and I'll say, Hey, like we had this conversation during like his introductory when you guys first came in, like he's got to focus. So I'm, since we're already on the same page, like you can't take class today because these other kids are here and they're, they're, they are focused, you know, like no, no student in terms of money is worth allowing to disrespect the environment in my book. So I would rather, I would rather have 20 students that follow their goals and the standard of the Academy and make less money and have less students than have 50 and X amount of them were not keeping the respect and the standard alive. So like the money's not worth it because the, the environment won't grow anyway, because at some point in time it'll implode because there's those bad apples. And that goes from uh, all the students in general to individual classes. Like it just, it just can't happen. So like, if you, if you do it right away, it just, it just stays. I literally in my entire experience, in my entire career, I've only experienced such a radical exception in terms of how someone acts and like the response of how to act to it 10, 15 times. Like, hey, you showed up late. Like you literally walked over here and you just sat down. You weren't paying attention. You didn't communicate with me if there was something wrong. This is what's necessary. Like you're literally just like, no, I just don't feel like doing it. Just get up and leave. I've only had to do that X amount of times, you know, but again, there's, there's always opportunity in every challenge. So it's every situation is unique, but it just, the standard has to be kept. If you accept anything less than that, it becomes so inconsistent that it's just too hard. It's way too hard to lead. Awesome. 
I have some few final questions that are more politics slash business related. Mm -hmm. um, the first one I believe you're going to answer very fast. Uniform policies, yay or nay? Uh, to what degree? Um, so you oh, get to choose. So if you need to enforce specific geese, specific rash guards, or just like you need to be dressed or... Um, I have a uniform policy. My uniform policy is that you can wear any gi color you're, that you like, as long as the tops and the bottoms match. So like that's, so I do have a uniform policy, but it's not, Hey, you can only wear white gis with this rash guard with this type of look. So again, there's structure, but I make sure that structure to a degree, to a very large degree allows the person to still be unique and individual and pick what they want to pick so they can represent and show their their character you know but i still get people that are like can i wear a yellow gi and i'm like hey no but i want to and i'm like uh, okay i hear you but like the standard is the standard is not yellow we can't do yellow you know like i'll let you do olive green or let you do navy blue or light blue whatever it may be but like i've got some some kids that that have pink you know but like yellow just doesn't work for me and some people disagree with that and they're like why can't i and i'm just like Hey, like, I just, I think it's a distraction. It doesn't work for the environment. You know, like yeah. someone walked in one day and they had m missing tops and bottoms and they didn't know. And I literally, I was like, Hey, we've got extra geese in the back, you know? So like, that's just what it is. But, um, I would say that we have a, we, I believe in structure. So I believe in policy, but I don't believe in being so strict, uh, that it takes away from someone's individuality to, to, you know, show their self. So, um, but other than that, like, no, I don't care. You should do what you want to do. As long as it's safe for the environment, it's safe for you, it's safe for us. Nice. Um, patching and representing the academy, is this something that you force competitors to do? Is this something you just offer? Do you not care? Is it important? Um, um, it, the option, too, is there. You know, they get heat transfers, whatever it may be, is there. Uh, let people know if they want to, they can. Um, it's not forced. Uh, it's not forced in any shape, way, or form. If you feel the confidence and the desire to put it on, you are more than welcome to put it on and represent that. But I also let people know that 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 with great power comes great responsibility. So, you know, I'd say to someone like, you know, like, hey, like it's your gi, put on what you want to. Like, you know, it's it's your car, put stickers on if you want. But when you make that stand and you're 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 expressing to people by putting that sticker on your car, by putting that patch on your gi, whatever it may be, that you're saying like, hey, this means a lot to me, you know? So the standard of representing whatever you put on is going to escalate, you know? So I, I have students that literally come from different academies and I don't even tell them to take off their old patch because I don't care. But with that being said, I also acknowledge that they don't care to take it off. I also acknowledge that they don't care to represent that patch while being at a different academy. So I take that into consideration in terms of that acknowledgement, you know, I don't hold it against them, but if they say something to me, like, you know, like, Oh, they bring up something that greatly contradicts their, their, their desire or like their actual actions that represent the academy. I'm going to go like, Hey, like you wear a patch that literally says Alliance and you're complaining to me about how Otto should do something, there's something that's off there. You don't even have the ground to stand on, right? So um, I think, again, patches are something that they're offered to everybody. 
they they represent something and I, I like people to have that choice of representing it or not. Um, but it's not enforced. I never, I don't think I ever will enforce it. Um, I have some D's that are patched and I have some D's that are not, you know? So, um, again, I don't like to take away from people's ability to have that freedom. And I think it's, for me, it's important for my environment. So I, I keep it that way. Nice. Um, one final question that might be super tricky or super quick. Um, I think it's very interesting to talk with instructors about their belt philosophies because they vary so much. Like some people have different rules of standard for competitors and hobbyists. Some people have the same standard and they're just very slow or they're very fast. Like Cobrinha has a very strict policy for competitors that you should be able to win worlds at the belt you're getting. Yeah. Um, what is your stand for this and what is like, what is important when progressing through the belts? So for me, I think because I have an environment that is all over the place in terms of the types of students to, to keep it clean and to be able to articulate it so other people understanding how clear it is, is that each person's belt and that, that color of that belt in terms of the standard is literally based on that individual person. So if Morgan is a purple belt and she is a competitor and her goals are competitive, that means that her, her belt ranking and her growth are based upon her goals. Um, and they're, they're based upon her goals in a way that it's done um, realistically. So if she says to me, you know what, I really want to compete for the next year um, I want to be a, I want to be a purple belt world champion. And, you know, I say, okay, cool. So what I do is her goals always come first and then my goals for her come second. So let's say, for example, she were to go, she were to go that entire season and she wins worlds at purple. Her goal was to compete a purple belt, be a purple belt world champion. I say, cool. So she did that. I then look at it and I say, does she, does she possess the, the skills I believe to then accomplish the goals that she has at Brown? If she does, she gets to Brown belt immediately. If she were to compete the entire year, not win worlds. And then after worlds, I'm like, Hey, so like your goal was to be a purple belt world champion. And obviously you had your season. It didn't happen. What is your goal now? I still want to win worlds at purple. Okay. But in my mind, maybe Morgan's been a purple belt for five years. So I'll have a conversation. I'll say, Morgan, although I also want you to be a Purple Belt World Champion and I want to respect your goal, I also think that if you have the goal of being also a Brown Belt or Black Belt World Champion, that it's now time to get your Brown Belt and it's time to grow inside your Brown because if you spend too much time at Purple, that influence, that impact, the potential of going that, it's also going to impact your ability to accomplish your goals later. So all of these, all of these individual conversations are unique and the details are plugged in based upon that, in, that individual person. Um, I do have a standard that standard again, revolves around character. So like if you're, you could be, you could have the best jujitsu in the world. You could have the worst jujitsu in the world. If you are a bad person, I don't even allow you to train with me. And if for some reason you still train with me and you're a bad person, you will not get promoted by me. And this is something that's very, very clear to everybody. So, um, for me, the belt is something that's important. It's important to people. And because we're able to sit down and talk about those goals, those goals to, to be had. So um, I have white belts all the time. Like, man, I want to compete a couple more times before I get my blue. And then they do. And I say, hey, like, I think you're ready for your blue belt. But you also said you want to compete like at white. 
Do you think you're ready now to compete at blue? Yes. Okay. Time for your blue belts. No, I want to, I, I want to win a tournament at white. Like, okay, there's one coming up. Let's, let's, let's focus. Let's really win this one. They win that one. Boom, blue belt on the podium. They lost it. Hey, like, you know, like, did we do this correctly? How do you feel? Like, oh, I'm feeling down. Like, well, listen, I, I know you're a blue belt. I know you just have, you don't have the experience to compete and win at that level yet. Let's give you your blue belt. So all of them are individual. They're unique. I've got guys that are big, small, girls that are big or small. I've got white to black belts. And that belt, since it's for that person, that standard, there's a general standard, which is that character, like I said, but it's based off of that person. So it'll change from time to time. But I don't, I don't believe in like, you know, to be a black belt, you have to make sure that this, this, and this happened. I'm not about that. I don't, I don't believe in testing. I don't believe like in any type of protocol that is very, very general that everybody should follow because that's your belt. So it mean, it should be based upon, upon individually you, you know, so that's, that's just how I handle it. It's how I have handled it anyway. So, um, and I've given out blue, purple, brown, and blacks. So that's just how I'm going to keep doing it. Awesome. I find it very interesting that you're actually talking to your students. Um, my experience has been, Hey, by the way, this is yours now. Yeah. Um, and so when I got my blue, I was very surprised. Uh, I was expecting to compete at white for a bit because I never did. And it's not that it's a problem. It's just, I think it's valuable as a student to be a part of the, a part of the discussion. Obviously as a student, you don't make the decision, but to understand what you are looking for as an instructor and what I should be focusing on apart from what I think myself. I, I, I acknowledge, and I agree with you that I'm the same type of person where I believe that me as a student should be involved in the conversation. So as an instructor, and by the way, as a student, I was never, not only did I attempt to be a part of the process, but I was also reprimanded for attempting to do so. Um, but as an instructor, what I do is I keep that option open for people to involve themselves. But I also say, hey, I am open to talking about this. I think it's healthy and good to talk about this. If you don't, you don't have to. But if you do, this is your little nudge to let you know that I'm comfortable with it. Because as a leader, it's important that I take the first step for people, you know? But I will say that the responsibility of the student, that it's important to realize and be honest with yourself and what your goals are. And it's your responsibility to share it with your instructor. And it's important that if you share your goals with your instructor and your instructor, for lack of a better word, doesn't respect your goals, it's then your job as a student to either maintain that person as your instructor or to change your goals. But if you keep the same goals and selectively actually hurting yourself emotionally, because you're like, man, I told this person basically how I feel. And they're kind of like, I don't really care. Then you're, you're basically doing the responsibility of how that feels. And it's very tough. And I know a lot of people that do stuff like that, where they're like, man, I talked to my instructor and I said like, this makes me uncomfortable. And they literally didn't change it. And I'm like, Hey, well, like you now have the ability to say, I, I verbally communicate this with them. Like, do you want to stick around? That's up to you, you know? So some people change uh, and some people make changes, you know, but um, it's important. Like I said, at the end of the day, we all as individuals are with our own thoughts and you're going to go to bed thinking whatever you want to think. And it's important to be happy, you know? So for me, 
with as much struggle that I had as a student in so many different ways, I became the leader that I am because of the experiences that I had as a student. They directly impacted how I handled things. And since about the topic, I was never, I was never allowed to. And when I did anyway, I was reprimanded for talking about promotions. I made sure that I never took away that ability if someone had a desire to do it with me. I believe so. The, the importance is how you phrase it, right? So if I come up to you like, "Dude, I'm feel I feel like I'm ready for a black belt. Give it to me." This yeah. is not okay for me. But yeah. I f if I say I feel that I I'm close to I feel like I'm almost ready. What should I work on? Um, yeah. What is your opinion? Do you feel Do you feel the same? Do you feel I'm way off? Or it's no. I, I agree too. But like this is this is the thing. Right? Let's just say let's use us for an example, right? You come up to me and you're like, hey, I'm ready for my black belt. Let's do it. It's my responsibility now to respond to that. And as the leader and as the instructor, I've got more experience behind that. I should be able to, when I feel like the conversation is not going down the correct path, share my response in a mature way. So I'll say, hey, Marcus, like, you know, like, um, I appreciate you letting me know, you know, sharing with me, having that freedom to share, having that safe environment to share. I don't think you did it in a way that was constructive or positive, you know? Um, but let's keep that in mind for next time. And I will also let you know that um, I would then share with, if I feel like you are or aren't ready, and then I would rekindle the conversation of like, well, what are your goals? What are we trying to do here? And then let you know that because you did take the ability and the courage to have that conversation, even though done in an incorrectly way, that it's still going to impact and we can still talk about the result, you know? For me, I literally had, I literally had times where I said, "Yo, I'm ready for my purple belt. Where is it?" And got and got physically beat up. And I also had times where I said, "Hey, you know, I don't know when I'm, I don't know when I'm going to get my black belt. I don't know when I'm ready for it. But what I do know is that I want to be prepared and I want to be the best black belt I can be. Can you share with me what I can do?" And I was also reprimanded for that. So. I was always in an environment where you couldn't talk about it no matter how you talked about it. But I was also with very strong, traditional Brazilian mindsets. Robert Drysdale, Andre Galvao, Cyborg, you know? So these guys are OGs of jiu-jitsu. Um, but again, if it wasn't for those challenging times and those experiences, I wouldn't be the leader that I am today to be able to change the type of jujitsu standard of how people communicate. I literally hear all the time, like you and your student openly talk about belt promotions. And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, Oh wow, we don't. And I go, okay, do you think that's wrong? And they're like, no, I think it's great. And I go, well, now that you know, it's great and you don't do it, you're kind of wrong for not doing it. Right. Yeah. So like, I understand that there's certain things that I disagree with in jujitsu. And although I can't change them and go into each environment and say, hey, you should and shouldn't be doing this, what I do is I'm only responsible for my environment. So I do it in my environment and then I vocalize that and I express it so people can see the example and they can either follow it or not, you know, but it's important to realize that once you make an acknowledgement of responsibility, when you choose to then be responsible or not be responsible, it really puts things into perspective, you know, so that belt thing is huge for that topic. I literally haven't had a single student at Logic or Roots that I haven't had a conversation with about the promotion.
So, and I've got a decent amount of students, you know, so, and I literally, I've also been in environments, not a single student has ever had that conversation with their instructor, the complete polar opposite, the extreme. So do I think one is right? One is wrong. I would say it's not my place to state that for other people's environments, but for my environment, it is correct. And it's the standard and that will always take place. Awesome. And I think that makes a, a nice wrap. Um, do you have like shout outs you want to do? No, I mean, just um, appreciate you appreciate, you know, everything going on. I hope that you and everybody, anybody that's listening is safe and healthy. Um, but um, no, man, I just uh, appreciate being on. Um, appreciate everybody that's kind of a part of this world, you know, and um, I hope everybody continues to, to grow and be positive and flourish, but um, I really enjoyed it. Appreciate you having me. Appreciate you uh, making time to allow me to do this, get this opportunity and looking forward to next time. Awesome. Thank you very much. I hope all of you enjoyed our chat and learned something. If you have any questions, you can find us on Instagram at Transync underscore podcast. Stay safe and keep learning.